So today's scripture is reminiscent for me of a top of the chart Bible school song that I sang in my early childhood years. It was called, I will make you fishers of men if you follow me. So the scripture is John 21, verses 1 through 19. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he showed himself in this way. Gathered there were Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said, they said to him, we will go with you. They went out, got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just after daybreak, Jesus stood on the beach, but the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, you have no fish, have you? They answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net to the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it and now they were not able to haul it in because there were so many fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon heard that it was the Lord, he put on some clothes, for he was naked, and jumped into the sea. But the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from land, only about a hundred yards off. When they had gone ashore, they saw a charcoal fire with fish on it and bread, and Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153. And though there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? because they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus appeared to the, to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my lambs. A second time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter felt hurt. Because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you used to fasten your own belt, go wherever you wished. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands 
and someone else will fasten a belt around you and take you where you don't want to go. He said to this, he said this to indicate the kind of death by which he would glorify God. After this, he said to him, follow me. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Amen. Good morning, my friends. So good to be here with you this morning. I want to extend a special thanks to your pastor for the kind and generous invitation to be with you. I want to say how thankful I am to have found a dear friend, TJ. It's so good to be here with you in service, a dear friend of many years. You know, I almost don't feel like preaching this morning, and the reason why is because whenever I see a confirmation class, I've been in ministry now for about 35 years, so I've taught my share of confirmation classes, and whenever I see one standing before us, I get caught up in the question, who will you be? Who will you be to this world of ours? Who will you be to this faith of ours? And so even though I have a sermon that's all, always well written, I'm always just caught up with that question as they receive their Bibles and proclaim their faith. I'm struck with the question, who will you be? And I think that one of the things that as I consider that question, we don't ask ourselves nearly enough in the church is how will we give them what they need in order to be everything that God dreams that they will be. But I did bring a sermon, so I'm going to preach. But I do want to thank you for sharing such a powerful and important Sunday with me. I don't take it for granted that these special times in the life of a church are one that churches often hoard to themselves because they feel as if something wonderful has happened in their midst. And I thank you for sharing this time with me and allowing me to share a word with you. Might I I ask you to join me in a word of prayer? Merciful and loving God, we ask that your word would be an encouragement to our heart. We ask that it would be strength to our spirit. And we ask that it would be a fire to our imagination as we move forward to be the people that you are calling us to be in the world and to be the church that you call into being in each moment in time so that we might indeed be witnesses to your power and your love. All this we ask in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. So I want to begin with just a blanket statement that God expects something of you. God expects something of you and I. God desires something of us. God really does want something from us. Now the simple thing which God wants is that we, those whose lives have been touched by the power of Jesus, the power of the resurrection, that we be heralds and witnesses in this world to that power. God's hope 
if you will, is that those whose name have been called in the voice of Jesus, because we know that God has many voices. We know that God speaks more languages than we could even imagine. But for those of us gathered here whose names was called in our hearts with the voice of Jesus, God desires that we would be a living testimony to the power of life and to the ways of God in the face of the ways of the world. Now the way of God is revealed in Jesus Christ is the way of life, the way of wholeness in a world in which there is often too little of both, the way of justice in a world so often devoid of justice, so often seemingly as if injustice is the lingua franca, the way of hope in times which often feel like a long, dark night that will never end, the way of love in a world seemingly ruled by malice and hate. That is what God desires of us, simply that we live, we, you and I, live as if the ways of this world are not the only ways. But as simple as that may sound, it is often so hard to do. Even though it ought to be easy to walk in the ways that materialize love, when we who have known the goodness of God and have experienced it so richly, it should be easy. But both the rewards and the threats of the world seem like they are so great. You know, it's very easy to enjoy the comforts of life, and it's very easy not to want to rock the boat. It's very easy to enjoy the good things of life and be amply rewarded with them at the same time that we don't challenge the systems that give unjustly to some and take unjustly from others. It's easy enough because of the rewards and the threats to simply seem as if they're too great for us to live the lives we know we ought to live. And after all, our lives are so short to begin with. And particularly when we think about our children, their childhood is so short that we want to give them everything we can possibly give them. And sometimes we mistake what God tells us our children need for what the world tells us our children should have. But God knows that God's children, that we are weak and we are frail. So even though we may not live the lives that we ought to know that we should live, even though there are glimmers of what our lives ought to be, God knows that our hearts want to live the lives to which we are called. And because of that, God offers forgiveness in the face of those moments when we are not everything that we ought to be. And that is what our scripture is about this morning. When we come to the story, Peter and the other disciples have returned to the lives which they lived not too many days after the crucifixion of their teacher, not too many days after the death of their beloved leader, 
They had returned to what they knew, what was still real to them. They had proceeded as if Friday was the end of it and that the state's ordered execution was the last word. They had gone back to the lives that they knew before they knew Jesus. And this is how Jesus found them. When he comes onto the beach and he looks out into the lake and he sees them fishing, he sees them having returned to the very places in which he found them in the first place. Those whom he had led, taught, and loved. But even though he finds them here, the people who had been closest to him, the ones who had been there from the beginning, even though he finds them here and in this way, he does not greet them with disappointment or anger over betrayal. Now, I'm going to be honest with you all. If you've been telling me that you are part of my crew, and if you've been following me all this time, and as soon as things get difficult, things get rough, all of a sudden I look around and all of you are gone. I'm not going to feel too kindly when I come upon you again. I'm not going to feel too kindly when I remember that when Friday was here and I was on the cross, that the only people there were my mother and my aunt and one of you all but the rest of y'all were nowhere to be found. Remember that this is what Jesus, when he comes and he finds them, he finds the people that were nowhere to be found in his moment of greatest need. But notice he didn't greet them with disappointment or anger. He comes to them and he breaks bread with them. And as he sits with Peter, he offers forgiveness for each of the three times that Peter denied him. Now, I shared with the earliest service, and I probably shouldn't have shared this because it made it seem as if I was biblically ignorant, I know, but I was 50 years old before I said, oh, when he said, do you love me three times, he was talking about forgiving Peter's three denials. That's the value of a seminary education. You can learn something. <laughs> So he offers forgiveness for each of the times that Peter denied him. He asked him, do you love me thrice? And each time he seeks not repentance with the answer. He doesn't look for Peter to say, Lord, I am so sorry that in your moment of need, I was nowhere to be found. He doesn't look for Peter to say, Lord, when, uh, I, when you were in trouble, I'm so sorry I didn't speak a word on your behalf. When Jesus asked him, do you love me? He's not looking for Peter to say, I'm sorry that I denied that I even knew you in the time of trouble. That's not what Jesus was looking for. No, Jesus seeks no apology. Instead, he seeks of Peter a dedication to live as if you knew me, to live as if what I said and did mattered and were real, to live as if the words that I taught you and the word that I brought you was true. So Jesus' forgiveness came with the call of responsibility to the future. 
He called Peter to feed my sheep, to be responsible to the future, to be responsible for those who come after us, a responsibility to the care and nurture of those to whom tomorrow belongs. This is what Jesus was calling him to do. This is the word that is for us this morning, that God's forgiveness in the face of our frailty, God's grace in the midst of those times we live in the isness of the world and not the oughtness of God's love, the times we choose our own comfort and safety when our neighbor is in peril, this forgiveness and grace comes with a responsibility, a responsibility to teach and equip each new generation, the generations who have not known Jesus the way we have. You know, folk tell you, if you walk with the Lord a little bit, you might learn something. Now, when somebody told me that when I was 25 years old, I thought it sounded like a, plen like a platitude, like it sounded like a nice thing that old people said in the church. But now that I'm not 25 anymore, I'm a year or two older than 25, and have been walking with the Lord for a while, I know I can be a witness to the Lord in my life as you can be a witness to what God has done for you. And we have a responsibility to share that faith, to share that encouragement, to share that confidence with the generation that is now only beginning their walk with God. To know that life has the final word and that love overrules hate and malice and at the end of the day, that love wins. In these times in which it seems our society is dissolving before our very eyes, because we have no shared vision that we might have a future together, in these times in which the very idea of our shared humanity is called into question by children in cages and camps, by people murdered in their places of worship, in these times, in which it seems that Calvary had the last word, in which it seems that at the end of the day, malice is much more powerful than truth, when it seems that hate is much more powerful than love. In these days, what greater gift can we give to the world than a generation who knows another way? than a generation who knows that God's love, God's power, God's grace is finally the last word that will never be overruled by the powers of this world. And I would suggest to you that as we give the gift of this generation to the next, we are also giving our gift to God in thanks for all that God has done for us. Amen.